He's a Filipino businessman and sports patron, the managing director and CEO of Hong Kong-based investment management and holding company First Pacific Company Limited, with operations in the Asia-Pacific region. He will assume the roles of president and CEO of Meralco and is chairman and president of Metro Pacific Investments Corporation. He also chairs Meralco, along with PLDT and Felix Mining. Joining us in Thought Leaders, Manuel V. Pangilinan. Good, Good to morning. see you, Manny. Yes, thank you for having me, Kathy. Yeah. It looks to be a basketball year for you so far. You've got the FIBA uh, World Cup uh, Championships happening in Manila and mm -hmm. the reclamation of that campaign that uh, Gilas was looking for at the Southeast Asian Games in mm -hmm. Cambodia. How did that feel, just Gilas retaking that goal? Well, of course, uh, it's, it's, it's a tremendous feeling of relief and, of course, a, a very happy no, for Vilas and for the country. Um, and it, was, it was a huge uh, job that Gilas did, a magnificent one, uh, especially after the defeat uh, from Cambodia in the first game. So, um, kudos to them and to the coaching staff and uh, congratulate the Chot and send my warm regards to Coach Tim and Coach John for steering the team to this uh, championship. Yeah. Where were you when you won the game? I was actually in Meralco. Um, I managed to catch the first half of the game, but we, I had uh, an important meeting uh, after that. But we were monitoring the scores uh, during the meeting. And when they won? What well, everybody cheered. <laughs> everybody cheered. Uh, well, we were all Filipinos in, in that, uh, that boardroom, so... Everybody uh, congratulated uh, Gilas. Your emotions had been on a roller coaster ride, and, and that showed mm -hmm. up in your tweet mm -hmm. uh, back on May 11th when you were quick to, to tweet your disappointment over the uh, Gilas loss to Cambodia, which you mentioned earlier, describing it a quote, disgraceful defeat. <laughs> and where you also asked the Samahang Basketball ng Pilipinas, SBP, what happened? So, what happened in the intervening days before Gilas clinched the gold? Well, I, uh, in my text to Chot, my congratulatory text to Chot last night, I did include my, uh, my statement to him that I was happy to eat the harsh words I tweeted earlier, right, about Gilas' uh, uh, defeat to Cambodia in the earlier game. Uh, and uh, very happy to be proven wrong, no? Uh, and um, so he texted back um, saying it's all part of the job. So that was a gracious uh, reply to me. Uh, yeah, disappointment, uh, especially after that. And uh, um, well, it's it's uh, we 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 knew that uh, Indonesia would have two or three imports as they did uh, the last uh, SEA Games in, in Hanoi. And also they did, I think in the FIBA, one of the FIBA qualifying games uh, series, which was uh, held in, which were held in Jakarta, Indonesia had uh, two or three imports, I believe, at least, uh, at least one good naturalized import, if I'm not mistaken. And we, if I recall correctly, we got defeated there, there too. So I thought, uh, SVP should have thought through uh, that process uh, because we knew that 
in the SEA Games, it's under, they play under different rules. So. And um, yeah. Should there be a change in the regulations when it comes to the Southeast Asian Games? And as I understand it, in, the, in each host country in the SEA Games uh, has the ability to, to uh, determine the sports no? uh, uh, that they want to include in the agenda, total sports agenda. And I think in the case of Cambodia, they had included certain what they call native sports, uh, sports that are really native uh, to Cambodia. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's got to be some, uh, I guess, some space for for that, uh, uh, I can imagine. But there should be certain basic uh, component of every SEA Games, no? So you cannot tinker with it uh, too much, uh, right? So that, and, and the, each of the countries can prepare if they know there's a, the, it's like if the curriculum, so to speak, of the universities as a core, uh, core agenda to it, uh, core items to it. And then countries can prepare, uh, athletes can prepare for that uh, for those uh, core programs. Well, as a press time, uh, we have yet to receive your congratulatory tweet. <laughs> Will you be tweeting one? Uh, I thought I should shut up <laughs> for the meantime. <laughs> so between building and maintaining a national or professional basketball team or teams and um, running multi-billion peso conglomerates. What do you think is more difficult, more, more stressful as it were? Uh, it's a tight contest. Uh, uh, I think sports evoke very deep and very strong emotional uh, sentiments on my part. Uh, uh, whether it's the collegiate teams I support, the Ateneo and San Beda, the, uh, the professional teams that we have, and more importantly, it's an entirely different feeling when Gilas is playing, especially abroad. Uh, we've experienced that in Spain, followed by Beijing, and before that in the, uh, in the FIBA qualifiers, mainly in China during that time. And, uh, you know, it's an entirely different feeling when you see the Philippine flag being unfurled in the stands by Filipinos. And, um, and especially <clears throat> the few games we won the FIBA World Cup, uh, that was also a very, very different feeling. You're feeling for the country rather than for the particular institution that you're supporting. Well, congratulations are in order as well for the TNT Tropang Giga. It just didn't win one championship, but three. Three across uh, basketball and e-games. And that includes esports combined, the 2023 X3 Grand Slam, 2023 PBA Governor's Cup, and the 2023 PBA esports Bakbakar. Yeah. So how well, did that feel? having the underdog suddenly become champions. Well, of course, it's a, it's, it's a happier feeling, no? Uh, but the congratulations should go to them, right? To the, to the players uh, themselves, which was what I think Chot expressed last night, that it was really the players. Yeah, so it should go to them because I wasn't part of the team. No? I wasn't even there in Cambodia or, or even the game. So they really should be the congratulated for that. Uh, and um, I'm glad that we, we, uh, <clears throat> we have broken through the barrier of 50 goals uh, this time around. We were number five. Uh, Cambodia was number four uh, in total uh, medals uh, won. 
but Vietnam was the powerhouse, uh, number one, with the most number of medals and most number of golds. So that's, that's an idea, an aspiration for the country to aspire for as well. Uh, so we could be a, a significant sports country, as I think we should. And uh, in the case of Philippine badminton, I saw some of the games. <clears throat> you were competitive because uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, and Thailand are, are strong badminton countries as well. So we're up against uh, strong teams. But I think our players did, did uh, do very well. I think they made some progress. And the rankings of some of the players especially the doubles teams, uh, are improving uh, each year. When you say that we could be a significant sports nation, is there any particular sport that we could excel in, or sports that we could excel in? Well, of course, the most obvious one, at least in ASEAN context, is, is basketball. No? Um, <clears throat> uh, there could be an improvement in the rules that how many imports uh, can you deploy, right? Uh, how many would you go for? I, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's uh, there, the, a few modalities have been suggested should be a maximum of two and only one import on the court at one time. Yeah, so I, I think the governing body of the SEA Games should decide uh, rules that are common to all. So it's a, you, you, you square the playing field, right? So you don't stack it in, stack it in favor of the host country or anybody for that matter. You own two other PBA teams, that's Meralco Bolts, as well as the NLEX Road Warriors under the Metro Pacific Group. And you also have two teams uh, when it comes to the professional, the Premier Volleyball League, that's the PLDT High Speed Hitters and the Signal Spikers. Yeah. What do you think they can learn from that win of the TNT Tropang Liga, from underdog to championships? Well, uh, precisely that, that uh, at the end is your passion. It's your determination to win, uh, your will to win. No? Uh, of course, you must have the basic talent pool because you know, there's a certain level of uh, skills that the team must have and, uh, and to power you through uh, to the championship, especially if you're the underdog, you need, you need that, that spirit no? to really uh, uh, bring you to the, to the kind of destination you want, where you want to get to. Now, all roads lead to FIBA. We're up yes, uh, yes. as co-hosts by August and September for the finals. And it took you nearly a decade to get that co-hosting rights back away from China when we lost back in 2019. What did it take to ensure that we got to co-host this round of the FIBA World Cup? Well, we lost to China in the bidding for, I think, in 2015 something like that and um, uh, the thing was that um, our chances of you know the, the first question we had uh, was that uh, is there a, a decent chance even that uh, the Philippines can host should we bid for the, for the 2024 World 2023 World Cup, right? And um, because it was held in Asia already for the first time in China. And uh, so it's unlikely that FIBA would give it to Asia again uh, soon after a successful stint in China. Uh, 
so the only creative way you could think of was to propose a multi-country hosting format. No? Um, so initially it was Singapore, ourselves, and a toss-up between Indonesia and Japan. That was the consortium that we uh, started to form no? at the beginning. But we floated the idea to the then Secretary General, Patrick Bowman. No? And um, he, he, was, he wasn't necessarily warm to the idea, but he found it interesting because the analog to the multi-country was, was uh, Korea and Japan uh, when they co-hosted the, the World Cup. So, of course, the issue then was that who hosted the final, final game or the championship game. Um, so it, it, it came down to the three of us. Japan, Indonesia, and the Philippines, and uh, we, that in the formation of the consortium, we we uh, we led the consortium. So that's why the main main venue, <coughs> excuse me, is, is the Philippines. So, so of the 32 countries participating in August this year, we'll have 16, and part of the arrangements uh, would be that um, uh, the the finals phase. Uh, essentially, the last 16 uh, teams will be playing here in Manila. So, um, yeah, we worked hard at it and uh, we won against uh, our competitor countries. In the final round, there were three of us. And uh, on that lucky day, sometime in December 8th, 2017, uh, the board met and, uh, of course, I accused myself on the board. And uh, so after each of the three countries made their respective presentations, the board decided in the afternoon to give it to the Philippines, Indonesia, and uh, Japan. And when you come to think of the context all the way back from 2005, when the Philippines got suspended from all the FIBA-sanctioned tournaments because of a power struggle between the, the Basketball Association of the Philippines and the Philippine Olympic Committee, what was it like to ensure that you got everybody together to ensure that we could once again compete in FIBA World Cup? Because you've been the first president of the Sabahang Basketball in Pilipinas back then in 2005. Yeah, I wasn't involved at that time uh, in, the, in the federation, in the basketball federation. But you're right, I think at the time the preeminent uh, federation was BAP. Basketball Association of the Philippines, and uh, so we uh, actually didn't know what was going on at that level, uh, the, the federation level, until of course we were told. You read, read the papers that the Philippines got suspended by FIFA because of these intramurals, and um, I think there were efforts at mediating between the two groups, uh, BAP and I think an emerging uh, uh, basketball group as well, wanting to form their federation. And, but I wasn't part of that, of those intramurals. And I think uh, Mr. Bowman was, was mediating between the two in the course of the suspension of the Philippines. And uh, it was uh, a meeting in Tokyo, as I understand it, as I recall it, that uh, the competing factions and Mr. Bowman decided to form a three-man committee precisely to resolve these issues. And, uh, so they appointed one from BAP and another one from the 
from the other group and they needed a chairman to, to resolve these issues. And so when they came back, uh, the two representatives came to see me and said, could you chair the, the, the committee? I said, I was reluctant, right? But uh, I guess somebody's got to do it to, for us to get the sanction lifted, the suspension lifted, and try to see how we can move forward together. How did you break the deadlock? With great difficulty. <laughs> it, was, it was a tough one because, of course, each one is claiming they're the legitimate uh, uh, organization that should represent Basketball Philippines. Huh? And, um, but at the end, uh, we got it done and we got the, the uh, that was the birth of the SVP. We got everything, there were uh, corporatized, there were regulations, there were articles, there were bylaws, including representations from the various sectors in the, on the board and so forth and so on. And one of the things, like the Philippine Constitution, was that the term of the president of SVP is limited to no more than eight years. So it's uh, two terms of four years each, similar to the presidential system in the U.S. And uh, so I was the first president of SVP. And uh, of course, after uh, uh, our increasing participation in international basketball, um, they asked me to stay on beyond the eight years. I said, no, I was present at the creation of this thing and I was involved in the drafting of the Constitution. I don't want to be the first to violate uh, the terms of the Constitution. I helped draft, no? so, and, um, you know, we should stay with that Constitution. I see no reason why we should amend it or abridge it, no? And um, I think Al Palillo is the current president I think we had some light discussion about this thing because I think he's, he's due for retirement. In other words, his eight years are up soon. So I told him, don't even think about it, okay? <laughs> Let's follow the rules. Yeah. Well, in terms of scope and impact to the Philippines, how do you rank the FIBA World Cup as um, a sort of a, um, portal for nation building, if you will? and as a venue for inspiring Filipinos? Well, it is, it is the apex event for uh, global basketball, you know, because uh, before the World Cup, uh, there, uh, Mr. Bowman was the one who thought about these qualifying events uh, in the run-up to the World Cup that are played in several hemispheres, several regions of the, of the world. It, it's been a tough calendar for the teams in each of those clusters of regions. You know? And uh, so it's the apex event for the Philippines. Uh, it's good for our people to see firsthand uh, how good a player can, can be. Uh, you know, especially the U.S. team is is playing here on day one, and uh, I hope I think you support Mark Tatum. I hope you ask him if USA basketball is going to send their the first team, and if you could see the likes of Steph Curry, uh, the bio, and so forth and so on, uh, on shore, then it'd be a great experience. And of course, to see Argilas competing against the best in the world, no? uh, it is uh, it is a unifying sport. Sports is a unifying factor. No? I mean, when Manny Pacquiao in his prime, remember when he would have a fight and then typically held in in Vegas. So it's it's morning here. 
and the whole country would stop, right? And uh, and I recall the uh, when he, one of the victories he had, the Pacquiao had uh, the banner of Philippine uh, Inquirer. The following day was a nation united, and that's very true. It's a it's a huge unifying factor for our people. Well, what sort of economic impact does it give in terms of perhaps tourism or putting the Philippines on the global map? Mm -hmm. Well, this year we just had the FIBA draw here. So uh, delegations from the 32 countries were here in the Philippines and their respective ambassadors were at the Smart Araneda Coliseum. But apart from that, so the delegations, so that's quite a number. Then the FIBA Central Board flew in for the very first board meeting on our, on our shores and uh, a number of staff, FIBA staff are all here no? to manage the interpreters, the, the, the officers of FIBA were all here and to get the foretaste of what, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a test run, I think it's a test run. They're seeing us how we can get organized even for a, for a smaller event compared to the World Cup. And I think the uh, SBP came through and the local organizing committee came through with uh, flying colors. So, so I, I think it's both a privilege and an honor to be to be the main host of the World Cup and seeing firsthand uh, hopefully the likes of Luka Doncic from Slovenia, the likes of uh, uh, Antetokounmpo, the brothers uh, playing here. No, so because we just see them on the on, on screen. So. I mean, uh, I've been to Beijing and, and Seville, for example, the last two World Cups. It's just exhilarating. The experience is just altogether celestial. Who would you like to meet in person, considering you mentioned celestial? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I think anybody. I think they're all, all stars uh, who were here. Uh, uh, Scholar was here, and Yao Ming was here, and Nowitzki. Here. But before that thing, uh, Carmelo Anthony was here uh, in the previous event uh, to this. And how do you think the Gilas program is, is prepared given the win that they've had in Cambodia? How do you think they'll do against Angola, Italy, and the Dominican Republic? I mean, these are country teams that we've competed with before in 2019 and 21 and lost. Well, in certain cases, the game was rather close. I think uh, against Angola, I uh, do not recall about Dominican Republic. So for them, I was told it's a question of how many NBA players they can deploy. You know? I think they have uh, two or three. So that will determine the, the, the level of competition we might have against them. Italy is a strong team, so that, that one's a question mark. And what is going to be the measure of your success for co-hosting the World Cup? Well, I don't want to put pressure on on shot or to our coaches or player players indeed. If you could just the round one is the what they call the goo phase. If you could just proceed to round two, uh, that'd be a great achievement for Gilas and you know, for the country. And you know, because if there's continuing improvement in our rankings, I think when SVP was formed, we were number sixty-three or sixty-five. Now I think we're down to about 31 or 32 ranking. Of course, as you go lower in the rankings, uh, the more difficult because you're facing the more the tougher countries. No? 
And what do you think your mom and dad would have said if they were here with you today, uh, joining you from the courtside, watching those games? Because I know that mom is a very keen fan of Sambeda, yeah. and dad Dominador had played hoops along with your brother. Uh, well, they probably scolded me every time Gilas loses. <laughs> yeah. I'd take the brunt of it from my, from my mother. You know? yeah. She's quite partisan about these things. <laughs> Well, now that we've talked about sports and, and, and the whole ecosystem, I'd like to get into governance, sports governance, in fact, because there's a lot of moving parts there. There's, of course, the, um, uh, the funds, uh, number one, and then the naturalization and selection of players, and worst of all, the politics that you have to deal with. Uh, what role do you think public and private sector play? Uh, in instances like this, where corporate companies, where companies try to invest in sports and make sure that we form winning teams and provide a winning culture. Well, I think for a developing country like us, um, and I think you could look at examples uh, of certain sports, in other parts of ASEAN, uh, my impression is that uh, they're private sector-led. Like Indonesian badminton is basically a club system sponsored by corporates, large corporates, who see the value of sports, uh, who see the value of badminton in, in their case. Um, and they've, indeed, they've developed their world-class uh, uh, participant in, in sports, no? in the sports of badminton. So I believe Malaysia uh, follows the same system, similar system. So I, I think at the end, it, it should be private sector led, but obviously government support is, is needed. No? And, uh, and uh, it's, 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 it's a, it could be a model for PPP, public-private sector, but at the end, I think it's, it should be the private sector led. Uh, we should either the, uh, the federations anyway are are supposed to be uh, non-profit and uh, really organized to to improve the sport and improve the skill level of our athletes. So, and the the mother federation, like in the case in our case, for basketball FIBA is is a non-political organization. It's a private organization. Same with FIFA and I guess the rest, uh, the uh, Boxing Federation, the, the Badminton Federation are, I believe, uh, private organizations. If there should be government support, as you say, do you think that we should create a department of sports? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, we should improve uh, the federations we have, because we have for each sport, there's typically a federation. I think the Philippine Olympic Committee is well, well managed by uh, Mayor, Tol uh, Mayor Bambo Tolentino. PSC is uh, chaired competently by uh, Sabakma. And uh, I think the Marcos government has been very supportive of sports. They gave uh, the World Cup some financial support. Uh, thanks to uh, the president and to PCSO, uh, and um, you know that's 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 very important as well. No? And uh, we've invited the president to do the ceremonial toss 
for the first Gilas game, I believe on August 25th at the Philippine Arena, because his father in 1978 did the ceremonial toss as well. So as he would be doing that in, on August 25th, the background photo, the picture uh, of the president will be his father doing the same thing. In fact, so, real GDP growth trend is slowing because of elevated inflation uh, pushing the, the Banco Central to raise interest rates and it's, it's crimping consumption spending as well as business expansion plans. When we talk about First Pacific's Philippine units, um, not only PLDT but Metro Pacific as well as Felix Mining, how are you doing up against these external risks? Well, the, the, the risks that are relevant to each company are different because, for example, Felix and Axilum, the coconut processing plant we just invested in, are perfect models because they're, they're foreign exchange earners, so they're dollar-denominated revenues and peso expenses, so they've got that advantage. The challenge for them is output, uh, that you're at the mercy of the good Lord, how many tons you can recover and how much was the yield in copper and uh, gold terms for every ton of, of, uh, that you mine. So we, we really don't know, right? So it's a question of mining more and more tons. And Felix says, but Cal Mine is, is more than 50 years old. So it's, it's aging, like the human body slows down, right? Um, Axelum is also the same model, dollar revenues and peso expenses. And it's embedded within the broader agri <clears throat> uh, milieu, right? Uh, the coconut uh, thing. So uh, it's uh, now PLT is a local company. Mirage is a local company. Uh, we try to avoid foreign debts. PLT has some. I think total of six percent of total debts are denominated in dollars. About half are hedged. Uh, we do still have natural hedges from our international calls and data, right? So there's some natural hedges as well for PLT. Mirage is purely peso-driven, <clears throat> but its, its, its size protects it, I believe, from the vagaries of inflation and uh, the very low debt levels and very significant cash balances. So, so each to his own. There's no, there's really no, but overall it's dependent on economic growth. So we should participate in trying to push that growth, uh, as has been called for by the president, uh, and we should do our part in in raising the level of investments because the more we do, the more we invest, the more jobs we create, which I think creates a virtual cycle of, of more and more growth for the country, you know? investing in infrastructure, in, in agriculture, in food, you know? and in tourism-related investments like land codes and is in resource type of investments. You know? What is your assessment of the first year of the current administration? Very good. It's so different. And a welcome change, a refreshing change. And uh, I've said it before that uh, uh, with, with the president, he's, uh, I, you know, I don't deal with him as often as others, but <clears throat> uh, the few times I've, I've been in a meeting with him, he's, he, he asks questions uh, and good questions. He's intellectually curious and uh, he's on the ball. He has a quick grasp of the issues. And uh, which is, yeah, good. And, uh, and I think his recent uh, visit to Washington was, was uh, outstanding, I think. And uh, yeah, so 
that that gives us optimism. I think the for me, I think uh, interest rates are probably peaking. Um, so perhaps the second half of this uh, this year would be better than this first half, which is good for everybody. So. As for MPEC, uh, you are hoping to take it private. You announced in April that you were looking to to buy the, the shares out there in the public and in turn make Japan's Mitsui the largest shareholder. How do you intend to unlock the value of MPEC as a private company? Well, Mitsui will not be the largest shareholder of MPEC. It will still be first specific at around 40-something percent. GDCAP will participate in the privatization as first specific would. So marginally, first specific would move up the stake. GT would probably move up to something like 20 percent, then now about 16, 17 percent. Mitsui and joined together the Japan Overseas Investment, uh, which is a sovereign fund, one of their devoted to infrastructure and foreign investments by the Japanese government will take a uh, combined 20% on the Southern uh, uh, assumptions. No? Uh, management will have about 10 plus percent eventually, again, under certain assumptions of people tendering to, to the bid. So how do we unlock the values? It will be unlocked by way of listing the various subsidiaries. Uh, Manila is required under the new fran its new franchise to list within five years, so I believe in 2026 they should be listed. So they're now preparing for that. Uh, there are ongoing. I think they've started discussions with the banks for releasing AB in 24 or 25. Uh, we we have to list. We will list uh, the Tallways Group uh, perhaps next year. So I think the, these are businesses that that are that are focused on. Tollways as tollways, water as water, and, and of course Meralco already listed, but that's a power, that's a power business. So, uh, you know, what what uh, I think the notion of a uh, like conglomerate, I, I believe, is is, uh, is outworn, and uh, because it's just too complicated nowadays, people prefer to focus on specific businesses. So Mitsubi is hoping to monetize by focusing on the power generation business and also uh, business development and creating collaborative projects in the digital field. With respect to digitalization, what do you intend for them to add value to, to what MPIC and PLDT are already doing in the digital space? Well. Let me give one specific example where <clears throat> there's a digitalization effort at the tollways level that we are, we're pushing, um, which Mitsui knows about. And we've told them and the other Japanese companies that we relate to that, uh, to begin with, we'd like to see a barrierless system uh, in the Philippines, uh, as, as they do in Hong Kong. Um, because it, it just gums up the queuing system, right? The queues in, in, in all of the tollways in this country. So if we remove the barriers and we just uh, drive through, uh, and uh, that's one. And uh, we need to have the software platform to be able to tag you as you enter 
whichever tollways or toll booths, uh, and to and, and to identify you where you exit and automatically calculate the fare. No, in the open system it is fixed, so no problem. Right? But when you get to the closed system portion, particularly NLEX, there should be an automatic calculation of the fare. Then the third issue is what if uh, we got to get higher? You know, about seventy percent adoption of the of the RFIDs, and uh, we need to that to be closer to ninety percent, ninety plus percent. So it's all digital. Speaking of your sustainability agenda, just looking at all the three Philippine units of First Pacific, PLDT, Metro Pacific, and Felix, how far would you say these companies have been able to push your sustainability agenda, given that the main metric on which you look at is how you've changed people's lives and provided for people's needs? Well, now we have twin objectives, right? Uh, improving people's lives but with the services and products we, we deliver and at the same time be mindful of the planet no? so um, it's 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 a broad-based uh, effort at this time because there are no it's not clear to me personally what are the metrics by which eventually will be measured as to how we how successful we are or whether we're operating in the right dimension uh, in terms of the sustainability effort Clearly, the, the carbon emission of the group should be looked at. Uh, protection of the environment, like getting rid of plastic, plastics uh, within our own premises and encouraging our, our people to switch, say, to paper. Um, and helping out uh, nature, right? Uh, the, the effort by MPIC in terms of propagating mangroves uh, in the country is, I think, admirable. Felix is a very significant reforestation program and millions of trees in their nursery that are available for use by our roadway system, by any of our buildings or, or campuses. So it's a broad-based effort. The, the, uh, on the business side, it's creating jobs. That's, that's what uh, we want to do for the, for the country and uh, by, principally by means of investments because, as, because of high inflation, high interest rates, the, the consumption is affected. Uh, government finances are also affected. So you really left with the I, the C plus I plus G, the investment portion is the one that will move, I believe, the country forward against a very difficult con consumer patterns and government finances. So the private sector should do its part in, in, in racing. Uh, I think that's what uh, various companies have been reporting their level of capex this year, with the exception of the telcos, are higher, will be higher than it was last year, and that's good. It bodes well for the country and for the economy. But one thing you're sure about is that you want to move away from the re regulated industries to less regulated industries. How are you doing in that pivot? Well, we've started to invest in food and agriculture, so. That's one part of it. Uh, we're looking at uh, the possibility of logistics as a major investment area for us. Uh, we did try once and we failed. No? So this time I think we'll try to be more careful about the effort in logistics. So, so that's less regulated than, than what we have now. No? So it's just a question of balancing the risk portfolio as we see it because part of the criticism leveled against MPIC and affected its share price 
is um, the regulatory capture uh, because you know Maracos is, is uh, regulated, uh, tollways is regulated, tariffs of Manila approved, LRT is regulated. So uh, hospitals not so much. I think that's the only exception in our portfolio now. So we have to review, balance it a bit more uh, because it will flow through into uh, to MPIC itself and to to first specific. No, so we're mindful of having a more or a balanced portfolio and you know food is an area where where the country needs help in growing our food and i think it's, it's sad that we have to import increasingly uh, food items uh, we're even looking at aquaculture now and uh, logistics the logistics cost in this country is too expensive and coming back to real estate uh, with the landco uh, purchase the full purchase of landco bringing you back fund center into real estate uh, something that you actually had uh, had been a core driver of First Pacific when you and Anthony were still creating your infrastructure portfolio. So do you find that real estate might be the core driver at some point no, for Metro no. Pacific? Uh, Lanco is a very focused uh, real estate business. We're not going to compete against the, your, uh, your garden variety real estate companies here, uh, either horizontal or vertical developments in urban areas. We're not into that. That requires a lot of money. So that will drive us away from the core businesses that we want to develop. But I think there's a niche market for Lanco in terms of the resort, tourist-driven, uh, whether domestic or foreign, uh, resort-type developments. And they've been quite successful at it. I think for the first time in so many years, they're profit they were profitable in 2021 and 2022, and uh, more profitable in 2023 in that niche market and it's also doesn't we don't butt heads with the more with the with the conglomerates here who have uh, usually banking and real estate in their portfolio as core so the less we we butt heads with them i think the better in terms of succession and i know that you've been asked this before but tell us about the the new and upcoming the young talent the the sort of talent that you're looking for that we've would move forward the companies that you manage what are you looking for in those young talents well uh, of course they're younger they should be younger than, than myself and uh, the other members of the senior management core of uh, the group uh, they should be ideally immersed have been immersed in it digitally savvy and at least have that orientation believe that technology deployed into our businesses will improve the businesses and the efficiency of the business and uh, eventually raise profitability and, and improve lives of the people or the customers that we service um, but i think there should be alongside that uh, that requirement uh, the ability to be not only to manage the business as well, but to be entrepreneurial, no? because this country needs more entrepreneurs, more risk takers, and uh, and that's the problem with, with the young people that I that I see. Uh, they're being held back somehow. That they are they're not uh, risk takers as the Chinese are. I guess that's the feature that's in their DNA, you know. Uh, but you could see that developing in Indonesia. If you go to Jakarta, it's, it's booming. That country is booming in very large groups. I think more entrepreneurial than, 
African Filipinos. So, so we want them to to develop, uh, to to spot people who are as well entrepreneurial and like sports. If you bring it back to sports, who are warriors, They're determined to win, determined to achieve their goal. Uh, that has got to be part of the equation, and uh, you know, this demanding a lot of our the people we're trying to recruit, but also the values that have informed and uh, uh, animated this, this group for so many years. The the values that uh, are very important to us: uh, the commitment, the dedication, uh, and uh, the passion to work for the group. Right? Uh, you know, it's otherwise, it is a, it is just a job, and you, you can't have that. Uh, I think you, you you really have to have the passion in order to stay with this group. Otherwise, you look at us as having a toxic environment. Some people do, and some people leave us because we call you out, we call you to account if you're underperforming. We will, we need to, and it's tough to be a, to be the bad guy. And I told people I don't relish. Uh, you know, being critical, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. In fact, that's what led me to to, to tweet. <laughs> you know, because anyway, that's another matter. Well, uh, we look forward to better tweets in the coming months. All the best, Manny. Okay, thank for you. The FIBA World Cup. Thanks for thank you so me. much for the opportunity. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. It. And catch us again next Tuesday at 9:30 p.m. Manila time on One News. You can also check out the long conversation on Spotify. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I'm Kathy Yang, and this is Thought Leaders.